Welcome to the Musician's Venture Podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned from musicians' backstories, as well as from building successful careers in the music business. My name is Nick O'Brien, and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events that Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. On occasion, I'll be joined by Allison M., the founder of Wisconsin Music Ventures, as she and I will dive into topics relevant to the music industry. So let's get down to business. Hey there, this is Nick O'Brien, and welcome to this episode of the Musician's Venture Podcast. This episode is a feature on a man about town in the Milwaukee music scene, Talalak, an incredible bass player who performs and records with at least 10 different bands in the area. You'll often find him sitting in with other musicians at the open mic nights and open jams he hosts. He's also the founder and leader of MKE Music Night, which you may or may not be familiar with, but if you're not, well, you'll definitely learn about it in this interview. Talalak has a strong passion and purpose for making music and helping other musicians elevate what they're doing. He's a well-known and valuable asset in the Milwaukee music community who's been working hard for several years to improve himself and the local music scene. Over the course of the conversation, we talk about the busyness of Talalak's life right now with being in so many vans, running MKA Music Night, and being a full-time student at UW-Milwaukee. He shares the list of 10 bands that he's currently in, he reflects on coming from a long line of musicians and his family and how that influenced him getting into making music as a young child, starting with the drums, then moving to the guitar, which made an easy transition for him to pick up the bass and really focus on that instrument as he got into the jazz scene in Milwaukee. With being in so many bands, he plays a little bit of everything, and he talks about all the different genres he likes to play, with his favorite being the neo-soul genre. He also explains how his natural intuition for music and his jazz experience enables him to play pretty much any genre and sit in with other musicians seamlessly. He shares what his early days were like getting into the Milwaukee music scene, taking as many gigs as he could, and sometimes playing as many as 18 shows in one month. He talks about how he's gone about hustling on the business side of the industry and what's important to being effective with that part of being an independent musician. We dive into his role in the Milwaukee music scene as the founder and organizer of MKA Music Night, which is an effort to spotlight different artists and bands in the area with live shows that move around the city. He talks about how it got started, his vision for what he wants it to become, the different things he's tried with the initiative, what's in the works, the lessons he's learned from the experience of leading it, and he shares some advice to others who are interested in doing something similar. We talk about Talalak's perspective on the Milwaukee music scene, what's good about it, and what he thinks needs improvement. Now, he's been recording with Kulla, who is a former guest of the podcast. So Talalak shares his recent experience recording a song with Kulla and others, which is called The King, and you'll hear that song after this interview. He reflects on his favorite show that he's ever played. He shares what he'll be focusing on when he finishes college next year, which is his own music career, as well as getting MKE Music Night to the next level. We also bring one of Talalak's musician friends into the conversation, who has witnessed him coming up in the Milwaukee music scene. They talk about that, as well as some of the past shows, open mics and jams they've experienced, and other musicians in the area that they're fond of. We end the conversation with him sharing with listeners why he's doing what he's doing in the Milwaukee music scene, 
and his dream for helping as many artists and bands as possible elevate their music. Talalik's passion and vision for his work is evident in this interview. I'm so happy I got the chance to learn more about him and his work to build up the Milwaukee music scene, and I hope you enjoy the opportunity to get to know him and learn about the work he's doing. You've been on my radar a lot lately, actually, with MK Music Nights, but you've also just been sitting in with a couple different bands that I follow around. Most recently, played with Rich and Dusty Pockets and Cosmic Love Child. But primarily Color. Yeah. They, right? No, Color wasn't at that show. Bar Bar Gallery? Yeah, that that one at Var. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. Because we met at Amorphic. That's right. And, I was, and that was probably the artist that you knew. Yeah. Yep. So that was like how we got connected. Totally. Yeah. I think that's we did get connected through Kula, I believe. But yeah, anyway, so you are a man about town. You have come up in the Milwaukee music scene in a lot of different kind of capacities. So I'm eager for this conversation. And yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So what is life like right now for you? I just saw something that you posted on Instagram. It was like, you got a pretty full schedule coming up, not just playing, but also, you know, some MK music nights coming up. You're also in school. So you, you got a lot going on. What's it like right now? Life is busy. Uh, I have like a, a girlfriend that I live with. We've been living together for like three years now. Her name's Tristan and I love her. <laughs> That's good. I love that. But uh, so I've matured a lot in the past few years, like trying to just like, be more about my shit, you know, and try to play less uh, shitty bar gigs. <laughs> and I, I still do them, but I'm more intentional with it and where and when and why, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm also in school full time, like you mentioned. So, yeah, my schedule is pretty busy. I'm also I just found out today that I'm in nine bands. I counted them all <laughs> because it's just kind of like here and here and there. But primarily, like I'll be like the first call or like there's nine different groups I'll like been playing under. What are those nine bands? <laughs> so obviously my number one stuff is like me, like my name's Tralok. <laughs> and I have like social medias and I just don't have any of my original music out yet because I play with all these different groups. So I'm kind of like under all these different names right now. But I do have like a pretty lengthy solo album I've been working on over the past few years. And then if I do like any jazz gigs or anything like that or duo stuff, restaurants, it's always like Tralok, Tralok and Friends, Tralok Architect kind of stuff. So that's number one. And then Cream City Players. Los Mitoteros, my Latin group. I'm in uh, Rob Knapp and the Soul Patrol. We do more like wedding band stuff and also original music of uh, Rob, our front man we started working with. I'm in uh, BG's tribute group called Night Fever. <laughs> and then I've been playing with Packet Change for the past year now. Sleepy Gaucho, I've been playing with them for two years now. Or I mean, I guess technically me and Andy started playing together around the time I started playing with Kala in like 2019. And now I'm playing with Kala again. So that's eight right there. <laughs> Did you mention Cosmic Love Child? No, that was the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, it's the last to keep track of. And <laughs> Cosmic Love Child is my buddy, uh, Christian Porter. We, we do the night fever thing together. Uh, he also lives downstairs, so we're like neighbors. <laughs> yeah, he's just a good friend. I met him around 2019. Also, he was busking at UWM playing for cigarettes. Yeah, I remember you telling that story uh, before your set at bar the other night. Oh, yeah, it was during the set. Yeah, 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 yeah. I completely forgot. I just started a 10th band, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was number 10, but we're called Triptych, all caps. Started with my good friend Christian Jackson, 
that uh, we met at like pick and save. <laughs> and, he had, and he had seen me play at the hi-hat. This was like three years ago. And like, then he started coming out to like the old mic. So like the rest was history. Like he's a good friend of mine. And I love the music that we make. And his original music is awesome. He's a great guitarist. And his voice, he's just nailing like the Gary Clark Jr., Jimi Hendrix, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, like all this shit that I like never get to play otherwise. You're well known, but like people want to play with you because you're an incredible bass player. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and like, I remember the first time I saw you play bass, I was just like, does he have more than five fingers on that hand? Like, it's just, you're, you're really good. And a lot of people know you because you're, you're booking uh, their bands, you know, for MK Music Night. So there's a whole backstory behind this. But, but before we get into this, like, I want to know, obviously music's a huge part of your life. When did that start to happen? Like when... In your childhood, did music start to kind of pull you in, in the sense that you wanted to make it, not just consume it? What was that whole experience like? I come from a line of musicians. So, like, my dad plays guitar and sings, and he did it all his life. So does my grandpa, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, he used to sing with mariachis <laughs> in Mexico, and they, they said, and he just had like a really powerful voice. And my mom said that he would like overpower the trumpets. <laughs> I never got to, never got to experience it firsthand, but story has it, you know. And his his father, my great grandfather, was also a composer. He had like a briefcase. When he passed away, all that was left was like a briefcase of all his compositions that he wrote for like orchestras and like. <laughs> symphonies and my grandparents were like really poor and they like sold the music for money just to be able to get by yeah i don't know where it is now it's lost so when did you start like playing music like when did you pick up an instrument pretty much right away there's pictures of me in like a diaper i used to <laughs> and i had like a little baby drum kit i used to be a drummer first okay and then all the way up to like i had a, a kit when i was like four and i played with my mom she would play the bass and we'd play like 12 bar blues did that for a while until like I was like eight or nine. I started, uh, I mean, I don't know, like the whole time, like I was just constantly around it, you know, like my aunts. I have two aunts that um, live in Chicago and they really helped raise me a lot. And one of them's a drummer. And so there was always a drum kit around, you know, I'd always hop in there and mess around. And at one point, we had a, a roommate who played the drums and he had like an electronic kit. So I was like eight or nine playing in, in the room. Like that was my main thing. And uh, in elementary school, there was a thing called Rock Band, like 102, but it, you had to be like in sixth grade. <laughs> and I was like in first grade, just ready to rock out. Like I wanted to be in it so bad. They were playing like Green Day and stuff like that I wanted to play at the time, like 06. <laughs> and then um, and then they made an intro to rock and roll class, but they, they only taught guitar. I was a fucking drummer. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to learn how to play guitar because like I just wanted to be a part of it. Uh-huh. And <laughs> even before that i remember there was a moment where i was like sitting on a couch and there was like a guitar next to me and i was like ding you know this give it a little flick you know and then i just got curious you know and mostly like self-taught that one class kind of helped like they teach you like the basic cowboy chords but within the first like month or two like i was helping other kids try to get it you know and then it was just it just felt natural and it was a easy transition because i started playing bass lines on the guitar not knowing that I was playing the bass lines. And then when my hands got big enough <laughs> to play the real bass, I started doing that too. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. I, when I, I moved to, to Milwaukee when I was like 12 and I joined a rock band 102 class. So when we moved, I never got to go to the rock band class. I wanted to in Chicago. So my mom 
found a community center in Bayview where we live. It's called the Beulah Brinson Community Center. And that's where I met my friend Sam Cottrell. We started a band and we've been playing together since we were 14, actually. But he's kind of like my counterpart in a lot of ways. And we've just been playing together the longest. I've learned a lot from playing with him, especially in the jazz world. Like, it's a very humbling experience. <laughs> There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody that's just blowing your mind. <laughs> so Sam really introduced me to a lot of that and a lot of jazz cats and the style of music, who to listen to, like how to play it. So I, I guess most of my experience comes in that. I was performing. I first started gigging as like a jazz trio with these guys when I was like 18, 19. And then things kind of took off, like just spread its way from there. And nowadays it's kind of like I'm just freelance bassist. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm in all these bands. But a handful of them are like things that I lead that I really want to do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I mean, I just love playing other people's original music too, like Kala and Gaucho. I can get behind those dudes all day. I especially like, I really resonate with the Sleepy Gaucho stuff. But I, I have never recorded anything with him, but... I just did the first thing with Color, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, me and Gaucho do have a side thing that we're working on. It's called, I don't even remember the name, but it's like a, like a Latin folk album kind, okay. of, kind of thing. Spaghetti Western. Oh. With an old pup. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Muglies. The Muglies. <laughs> the Muglies. Yeah, we recorded it like a five-song EP. I, I was actually really crazy about it. I can't wait for it to come out. It's been like a year already. <laughs> One thing I didn't include in that list is I'm at UWM, obviously, and I'm in the uh, Afro-Caribbean Latin Jazz Orchestra. Oh, cool. So we've got a few gigs coming up, and it's like a, a serious thing under the instruction of Dave Bayless. Nice. I mean, you kind of play a little bit of everything. Do you ever kind of like envision yourself just like picking a genre and like just focusing on that because you kind of sprinkle yourself around all the different genres. Is that what you kind of enjoy the most? It's what I enjoy the most. Yeah. I say personally, my music, I want it to be like Neo Soul. That's kind of my my bread and butter. That's what I want. <laughs> Where I get to, and it's kind of a mix mm -hmm. of a lot of of a lot of that stuff. In Cream City Players, that's what we do in Pocket Change. It's like the epitome of what I want to be doing. Nate Lukup is freaking genius. Mm -hmm. Makes all the compositions and. He's a jazz maestro, <laughs> the serious jazz dude, and he went to school for it. And he like his playing now is like such a cool combination of styles. Have you heard of Alan Holdsworth? He's like a he's like in the jazz fusion world. Okay, crazy guitarist, kind of in that style, but also like with class. Can you attribute your ability to just kind of jump in with folks and play to like learning jazz theory? And you know, if you can play jazz, you can play pretty much anything because that's right yeah. <laughs> it's way harder when you have to be learning all those like really hard tunes it, it really trains your ear not only to what chords sound like but like how to learn songs mm -hmm. you have to do it super fast sometimes on the spot so i think the first time i saw you play was at the gig because you host the open mic there and was that before amorphic i think so yeah it was maybe a couple weeks before I think it was Rich Travis who who brought me to the gig after. Yeah, Rich did come by a couple of times. And Rich started probably. You were just like kind of sitting in with everybody who was playing, just like holding down the bass behind him. And I didn't know if you'd ever heard those songs before, but you were definitely you definitely sounded like you had. <laughs> I assume you can like attribute like your jazz arsenal to be able to just kind of jump in with folks and hold it down in the back. For the most part, I think music is 
pretty intuitive to me also. Like I trust my ear a lot and I can hear when something's out of tune or like what chords are being played. Like generally like a when you've learned enough jazz tunes, you can like hear out a sound out of progression pretty quickly if it's simple enough. <laughs> so yes. And then, you know, let's kind of turn the conversation to the other role that you play in the music industry. You know, other than a musician, you're also like running around getting bands and artists shows and you know running open mics and things like that when did that all kind of start because at one point you were running like three different open mics in milwaukee right yeah that was coming out of covid okay when did it become something that you started to do more than just making music but also like kind of getting musicians together and like hosting shows and things like that i would say that it started um in high school when you're a kid thinking about what you want to do with the rest of your life and all I could really ask for was to like that I really internally wanted is like to do what you love, you know, and just like make money off of doing what you love one way or another. And it, it happens with everyone's passion, you know, like chefs, mm -hmm. example, you know, you work at a restaurant, you're a cook, but like you want to be like a fucking chef, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I don't know. I was I started in high school because I wanted to be able to make money off of what I do. So, and I started gigging as much as I can just, being a yes man, taking everything you can. And I remember I was like 19 and I played as many gigs as I could in a year and said yes to everything and tried my hardest. <laughs> and it was like, turned out to be like 134. And I was like, that felt like a big accomplishment to me. And then that February, 2020, right before COVID, I hit a milestone. Like generally you don't talk about like how much you make, but it was a personal milestone. I made a thousand dollars in February. Granted, it was like, it was like 18 gigs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how fair it, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I was, I was out there hustling. I was, and I still, I was still serving at the time and coming out of COVID, I started slowly picking up gigs when things were still opening up. Well, when I could collect unemployment, it ended pretty quick uh -huh. but from under me. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't go back into serving. I just got booking as much as I could. And last year was my first full year of gigs all the way through. I hit 180. Okay. Wow. And uh, I've been more selective. Sure. And like try to respect my time and like have like a life outside of music, like with my girlfriend and like have a more of a personal life for uh -huh. just totally obsessing over all this. But I would say the MK Music Night thing started as like me having like a vision and like a dream that I want to like accomplish. And it, MK Music Night is still nowhere near where I want it to be first step is like becoming an official nonprofit, uh -huh. <laughs> which I'm hoping to accomplish like this year for sure. Sure. Like, what is that vision? Like, what was, why did you start it? I want to make money off of what I do and I want to help others do the same. That was essentially it. Like, I want to help everybody get paid. Started off like kids like my age, you know, the first MK Music Night was at Bremen Cafe, booked the show there, thought of a name. <laughs> you know, I had a lineup of like few like local bands and I was like, there's nothing called, I like looked it up, you know, couldn't none called MK Music Night yet. I'm like, okay, okay, well, I'm gonna hop on this. And I started doing the Roman numeral thing. I, I just started booking every venue that I could. That was how it started in 2019. Some of those include like River West Public House, Up and Under, and Brood Cafe, which are not, all three of those are not open anymore. But I've also done the Miramar Back in the day, I rented it out once for a Thursday night show. Was <laughs> packed it up with like eight bands, lost four hundred bucks. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, it was it was a good thing for the people. And Ben Slowey came out and wrote a little article for me on the break-in and entering thing, which was like the first article I ever had written. And then Linnemans was kind of like, kind of became our home. Obviously, I've done Bremen at the time. I kind of stopped doing the Bremen ones because they only do like a percentage of bar sales. So it's just like, how, how many nights can you spend like eight hours there and like be making like 12 bucks? It's like fucking insulting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At what point is it like, I'm not playing for beer? <laughs> and this all kind of came to be because you were so active, like as a gigging musician, you just kind of made relationships with a lot of other artists and venues and yeah, you you have to you have to be trying to do this. You know, I have a lot of people that just send out so many emails and try to book everything I can. But it, it really boils down to like who you know, the relationships you have with people. Mm-hmm. It's like what's going to get you through. <laughs> yeah, and you seem to have a knack that a lot of you know musicians who are just getting started out like don't have, which is like kind of a sense for the business side of things and like admin and follow-up and email and, you know, relationships. It's like, you know, a lot of artists, they want to become a musician. They think they can get there by just focusing on the music side, which is, you know, that's an important part of it, obviously, but you're kind of your own manager. Like, sure. how did you start to learn the business side of it and just kind of the intricacies of relationships and how important that was to actually being able to, like, create sustainable income for yourself? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to sound really stupid, but I watched the James Brown documentary when I was like 17. And and there it's like, I know he wasn't like, he was kind of a great A asshole, <laughs> but he was definitely a motherfucking businessman. He was a hustling and he was just about his business as much as he was about his music. Probably even more so. I don't know. <laughs> his performance, you know, the dancer and all that. So, yeah, I don't know. I just like, Coming up, like I just knew right away it was something that I wanted to be like. You got to fend for yourself. Right. You know, that's my version of like trying to meet, make ends meet and like do what I can within my power. I mean, I've been going crazy with the emailing, you know, since I was like 18. I think I started, started booking gigs and just been trying to get better at it, hold myself to a certain standard and try to connect with the right people. Lately, I've been trying to work with more booking agencies because it skips a lot of steps and uh, hopefully gets me more money in the in the long run, but that's what we're all hoping for. Mm-hmm. Aside from just watching the James Brown documentary, you you just kind of picked up all this stuff on your own, or were you... Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's intuitive, you know? And, like, I was raised to have, like, matters and to be professional or whatever, so, like, I kind of know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just try to maintain good relationships. I'm a good communicator. And I hate when people don't respond. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a big thing that's valuable. <laughs> And just try to do a good job and present yourself well. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like the communication and like professionalism and relationships and things like that. Like, what do you see, like from your perspective, other musicians aren't doing that you're doing and it's making all the difference? I don't know, man. I don't think it is making all the difference. I feel like I'm just getting by right now and I'm not anywhere near where I want to be. And there's a lot of people in the scene that I actually do look up to. I'd really respect, like, John Justice Hustle. That dude, like, I totally see eye to eye with him. And we have, like, a similar, like, outlook and, like, approach. Mm-hmm. You want to incorporate NKE Music Night as a nonprofit. And when that happens, what's the mission? What else, if anything else, does NKE Music Night as an organization do besides the shows? 
Are, are you trying to like raise money for music education or anything like that? What does the MK Music Night Vision all entail? I'm just trying to help uh, support local artists of, you know, visual artists and musical artists, like trying to make a living off of like our crafts. And like, I'm trying to like spread the love. <laughs> Ideally, my vision is like getting like some grants. I think there's a lot of stuff I could qualify for, especially if I was to go the route you're talking. And, but if I, if I did have, the money, like hypothetically, never really thought about like if I had like an excess amount budget, like if I can get something crazy, like over a hundred grand, well then like, yeah, I am going to be trying to put it back into our community in other ways outside the shows. I Right now though, I'm just trying to focus on getting my shows into something that I'm proud of, you know, mm-hmm. like I think I've gotten lucky a few times, but it's not like totally consistent enough yet. It's hard to get it like a really consistent turnout, especially I think I was kind of limiting myself by only doing liniments mm-hmm. since i've been branching out i've had more success in different spots and then when i do do liniment shows i you know it was more people that i may have connected with or that may have heard of us from these other venues but the best example of that was like i did the backroom show this past january and it we sold out and that's, that's i don't awesome. see it coming <laughs> did not see it coming so it was a huge feat and then we did the amorphic one after that it's like decent all right you know then when i did the liniment show and it like it was like a huge snowstorm that day mm-hmm. and we had like seven paid covers oh man but they stuck around that's awesome and the energy was there like even i've had some shitty liniment shows that wasn't one of them mm-hmm. it felt like it felt good like the energy was there people were into it and like giving us their time of day mm-hmm and what goes into like curating the bills for these MK music nights? Like I know you always kick off every MK music night with your own set, right? For the most part, that's just kind of like to fill some space. And like I've been like lately just like not putting that on the bill and I just kind of do it informally. And maybe I, I think I'm going to start being more selective about where I'm doing that exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it felt a little weird when I did it at the back room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like what it like wasn't background anymore. Like ideally I want to just be like sitting in the background. People can talk, kind of come in and hang out, and one less person to have to pay. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like taking extra cut for that. These bills aren't like themed in any way. I mean, it's kind of a smattering of genres. Am I right? Well, what happened is <laughs> I have basically been trying to book all these bands, and I just have like it's kind of backed up, and I've got like this huge list of like groups I haven't gotten to work with, and like not enough dates and venues yet. And I tend to like favor booking my friends which and i'm trying so hard to like break that and reach out to like new people because that's what's been hurting me for a while you know so i'm saying like these past six months have been a very transformative state for mk music night especially this past winter just just for the shiny new things and i i've been talking about doing theme nights for like a year mm-hmm. and only recently has that kind of come more to fruition because i'm trying to be more more intentional about it but sometimes the theme idea just doesn't work out. And then that's why I still have MK Music Night as kind of the brand and theme I'm pushing anyways. Mm-hmm. It is its own theme of being a mix match thing. But I also have been trying to incorporate some theme nights. So like this started with my Latin night two years ago, 2021. And then last year I did it with my second annual Latin night. This year, it's not going to be at Linneman's. I'm moving it to the Cooperage. Oh, nice. And I've got De La Buena. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now it's on me to, like, try to get some sponsors. <laughs> and yeah. be able to make this lucrative. <laughs> right. 
right? Because there's lots of costs involved. And then Static Chicken, I've got them booked again for another Cooper show in May. This time I'm partnering up with Kala, and he's going to do a, a video premiere. He's going Yeah. So we're going to try really hard to blow that show up together. And I've got my friend Nate Shirell. He's going to open it up. He's always always does a great job. I can always count on him. He's really reliable. January, I did a hip-hop and reggae night. Mm-hmm. Had a reggae artist named uh, King Kamanzi, my, uh, our friend Usman. He's like authentic. <laughs> you know, he plays very authentic reggae. He's all about that. And then I did, um, obviously, the Latin night. I did a couple of those. I got one coming up, and I'm, I'm trying to hope maybe host one at Company Brewing before the Coop Bridge, like a couple months before, just kind of like get a couple more fans and shout out the cool stuff we got going on. So I got to reach out and try to book a date there. Also, Disco Night. Yeah. Tried that out um, July 30th last year. Horrible date. Oh, yeah. Pick. It was the same day as Brady Street Fest mm. and the River West 24. Mind you, we're at Linneman's mm-hmm. in River West. Mm-hmm. And we're in Pride <laughs> for our primary. Uh, yeah, that primary group is trying to get us there. And then um, it was also like, I mean, this probably didn't affect us as much, but it was like German Fest. Mm-hmm. So it's just like stupid, stupid, stupid. So, and then I had a like, and it was like my little sister's birthday party i'm like what the fuck am i doing like <laughs> i just like this is like so i i tried the B, the bg's night again in december and we did it at company brewing and it was awesome yeah yes the energy was so awesome and we had uh christian colcroft djing just great energy super great and then uh then we did the gig just as a one-off thing you know we didn't promote it as heavily you're familiar with the gig. Yeah. It already has like a built-in crowd. You've got yeah. a couple flyers. Like people are used to seeing like one or two bands playing there. Mm-hmm. Like a very tightly knit circle. So it was cool doing something new there. And we it was a it was a success. So yeah. So this year I'm gonna be booking a Bee Gees X Beatles night. Okay. And a Bee Gees X Steely Dan night separately. Oh. Uh, right now I have a date at the Coop Bridge for September 8th, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from the Steely Dan crew. But if they can't make it happen, then we're going to do the Beatles thing. I'm also trying to take this Beatles, the XBGs thing outside of Milwaukee and maybe book a few theme nights at like breweries or like other Ooh. venues where we could maybe like all just make it out there and yeah, make some money together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Make it worth everyone's time, hopefully. Yeah. So like when you go to try to get some of these sponsors to cover these costs, like, What's your pitch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Well, I'm like, yeah. I'm in an event planning course right now. And part of our assignments to like, I have to like host an event and get a sponsor. <laughs> and so basically like, I'm hoping that by the end of this course, like I have like all the resources and materials that I need and like everything I need to know, like examples to go off of, yeah. try to start making all this actually happen. One of the things I learned was it starts with having a venue and every, everything already booked before mm-hmm. you can present it to someone as yeah. responsive. So like, I just booked the other one out like two weeks ago. I haven't even really lacked everything in yet. You know, right. like so. I don't. I can't invite an opening act until I know if I have money or not. Right. Because if not, then all the money's going to be going to paying the other one out. Then my band. My nine-piece band is going to be just playing for like, you know, keeping our fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it, uh, so it's a lot. And that's been the struggle for a lot of these MK music fans. Seriously. So that's why I, I want to level up and like have like a budget so I can like start reaching out to bands that I want to be booking or like, and I can be just like, have a buddy's time more and making it worth it for everyone. And especially if 
it's people that I don't know that aren't my friends that are just going to come out and just play and whatever, like whoever I bring. I need to be booking bigger acts and I need a, a actual budget. <laughs> right. So I've, I've been trying to branch out and try new things. Uh, I got a couple Anodyne shows coming up. I've thrown a couple in the past that haven't turned out so good, but this time I'm hoping to just change my approach. You know, once you're incorporated as a nonprofit, you know, and this is just coming from my experience in this world, because we're similar in the sense that we're just kind of hustling, you know, to try to do good things. You know, with me, it's it's mostly for like just the creative community, entrepreneurs, and but like having an incorporated organization that is a tax write-off just legitimizes like your sponsorship asks. Then you could even go out and ask for just like general sponsors of MK Music Night as an organization, not necessarily just one particular event. So you have like annual sponsors. Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I used to throw a, a street festival called Clark Street Fest. Oh yeah. I, I kind of like put my all into it a couple of years ago. We ended up getting like rained out halfway through. We were still able to get a couple sponsors and uh, everybody was able to walk away with some money. I've been trying to focus more on doing all that for MTA News Night. Mm -hmm. And because I don't have like an annual thing that I'm pushing, I, but yes, have thought about that. And ideally, man, I, I like, I have this vision like once I do, if I were to like get a grant or something crazy like that, first thing I'm doing is like booking like the Fister. Mm. <laughs> something classy, Marcus Amphitheater, like they have a banquet hall there, something like that. And, like, go all out on like a real classic fundraiser yeah something like that that is like a vision that i want to do one day like one time i went to like sharp literacy thing you heard of them mm -hmm. right so it was like at the top floor of like a hotel real classy like that like we had randall cobb was there he bought like wow get those celebrities get those speakers you know and then hire like fucking davis trio pay them handsomely to come play some jazz yeah man. something like that you know Obviously, like meals. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's just it's something I want. I, I won't be. I will not rest until I can make that happen. Well, I mean, I'll probably hard that. to see from your vantage point because you're just like in it day to day. But you know, from my perspective, somebody who you know, I get around the Milwaukee music scene quite a bit. You know, I'm usually at two to three shows a week, and dude, your name pops up a lot. Just everybody. Who's everybody? I feel like I have my circle of friends, and like beyond that, like I just don't feel like I have much of a reach. You know what I mean? Like I've been putting in the hours, the labor, the years. You know, this is like this is year four of like gigging as much as I can. Well, I mean, without getting into the specifics, I just know that there is like there's a movement like happening around what you're doing, and what is that? Like what? Like there's just momentum. Like like I said, without getting into specifics, like momentum. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it's not quite a movement. <laughs> well, no, 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 yeah, because I was like, damn, like a movement in momentum. In order to have momentum, there must be movement to begin with. Yeah, so like that's what I guess I mean by movement. We started know? off the year with a bang at at the back room. Yeah, like a couple hundred people that otherwise would have never heard of me. And trying to get another one, you know, solidified. Yeah, I guess with all this, you know, being said, it's like you know, I hear you kind of you're grinding, you're hustling. And in some ways, maybe struggling a little bit, you know, to, like you said, make ends meet. But it seems as though that you're closer than maybe you think you are, you know, stuff like this. I've done a lot of community organizing in my career, and it may seem like to the naked eye that these like things that take off in cities are like this overnight success. But it's not. You know that, right? You're putting the work in. 
and it can happen in an instant and it just goes from man i'm hustling and barely getting by to all of a sudden it just hits and from my perspective you've got the right approach you've got the right mentality it's all about relationships the more people you know the more people know you and people talk about cool shit you know to their friends and you get to the point where there are more people that know you than you know and and that's probably where you're where you're at right now at least from my perspective because there are people who just say, oh yeah you do you know Talalak and like an mk music night and i'm like yeah like that's like the fourth or fifth time it's come up this week you know mm-hmm. so just i wanted to like kind of share that with you like it's a grind for sure but it's definitely paying off like from a cultural perspective you know i think you're definitely having a really positive influence on milwaukee's music scene before I get into this next topic, I'm curious as we kind of close the conversation on your experience with MJ Music Night. What are the like the top things that you've learned, lessons and advice that you could pass on to anybody else who's like interested in doing this? Be more selective about where you're going to do your shows, when and like how far apart, and who you're going to have on them. Every little detail like that really can determine <laughs> whether you're going to do good or not. And I would say careful with who you're working with and like what deals that these venues are giving you how much exactly they're taking from what you'd be making like ice ray arcade i'm not really a fan of them mm. like they take too much so does so does shane call and Samir marge just like you could be booking it at, at cactus club i know they recently had a thing i was kind of on cactus club's side on that i think it's pretty fair and like they do what they can i think and they do a lot for local music yeah i heard of something about like the People coming in like from like super corporate shit, like coming into our city and like from the Pfizer shit, like trying to take over some of these venues and like push them out by opening out, opening up new ones or something like that. But I don't know, like I'm a fan of guys about what they're doing. And um, yeah, obviously Jason at the Cooperage, I've been mm-hmm. with him and yeah. it's been very, very generous to me. I have donated my turtle to the Cooperage. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like a guy upstairs named Mitch. He's one of the managers there. And he's the man. He takes care of his turtles. And he, he had a bunch of other turtles. And he had like extra tanks and like all the resources. Yeah. Mm. What have you learned on the musician side? You know, you talk about working with the venues. But like, what have you learned about just like working with so many musicians on a particular bill? I don't know. I think I it's it's important to have a lot of respect for everyone and what they do. It takes a lot to get up there and put yourself out there. If at the end of the day we don't make any money, it's my fault. Mm. I take it very that's like that's on me, it's not on these guys. I need to be working with more bands that like have like their own following and like everybody needs to pitch in, needs to be all hands on deck and I need to have people that are like actively like able to get people out. It's mm. it's a really difficult task and something that I have been struggling to do for like years now. Mm. I know I know part of it has to do with me like playing so many gigs all the time so then it's like who's gonna come see me come play for a cover show when I'm playing like a free show somewhere else but that's that's besides the point like I need to be making my living and then like, it's that's why I also I, I hide under the aliases of all these different bands yeah because it's like it's not me you know it's like this group <laughs> yeah and another <laughs> new yeah so. you don't want to saturate yourself yeah so but I I mean I genuinely I'm passionate about a lot of these projects that I'm in, especially like the triptych one that we're we're doing together. It's like we got original music and like it's a cool style of music that I never get to play. And we're getting invites to shows with other bands. And especially I feel like now, like the punk scene in Milwaukee is like really growing, like probably doing better than most other genres right now. I mean, from my experience, like hip hop, I know it's always bumping, you know, but mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It seems like everybody wants to hear like these new punk bands and like rock bands, garage bands. And so that's kind of like what we can bring to the table with that group and be able to fit these lineups. The Latin thing, that's my that's my jam. Yeah. The front man in that. The BGs thing, I fucking love all those guys. They're like good close friends of mine. And I love the music that we play and like the love everybody puts into it. It's always a great time. Yeah. It's got a lot of potential. Yeah, for sure. I want to circle back to that. But before we do, one more thing on what you've learned with all of this, like promotion's a big part of it. And you talk about like, you know, struggling, getting people out to shows. Like what have you found that is the most effective kind of method of getting people to shows? Is it social media? Is it just like texting a bunch of people? Is there an email list? What have you found that works the best? It's all of the above. Yeah. If you're not doing everything at once, you're not doing enough. <laughs> you gotta like do everything you can in your power. I haven't even gotten a, an email list and Kahlo was on my ass about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was saying, oh, it's such a good idea. Like, even if it's a free event, just to like make an event right, score some extra emails on mm-hmm. the email list. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's everything all at once. Uh, obviously, the best example that I've been trying to replicate is the back room. Mm-hmm. That was our, our best show. And it, a lot of it has to do with the peps. And the the promo they do and their reach and the culture around the back room and the people just walking by and the all ages aspect too is a key component. Mm-hmm. So like, well, I'm sure that's why I'm trying to do the anodyne shows, the cactus shows and the back room. It's going to be like my main push for the all ages things. As far as house shows, I used to throw my own, but nowadays, you know, I'd rather play it trash someone else's house. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I haven't gotten any, any, uh, I had to done a good house show in a while last one i did it was actually it was called the back rooms it with an s mm. and it was in like michigan in like a college town gotcha yeah so gaucho and then it was like bumping yeah good reach like people were into the music you know mm-hmm. gaining new fans like all that good stuff yeah yeah i did a five-day tour with gaucho nice last november was that your first like tour yeah, yeah. back consecutive like that yeah so kind of switching gears here and let's talk about like the milwaukee music scene you know i like to pick the brain to people who are in it like you are give me a word that you would use to kind of like easy yeah polyamorous oh yeah i saw your uh your article in, in breaking and entering about that yeah yeah explain what you mean by that the sea is big enough for all of us really and then, like and who are we to like not share it with each other and i think everybody just wants to like come together and you always meet someone that knew that you want to work with. And like a lot of times being in a band is like a, a relationship for real. <laughs> so that's like how the music scene is though. Like everybody's just like, it's all love. <laughs> everybody's in the, everybody others, everybody else's bands. And it's really cool. And, and when, when bands break that and have their own thing with, and when nobody else is doing anything else, it's kind of cool too. It like makes it more powerful. Yeah. Where it's like, I wouldn't see these guys anywhere else. Like this is it. And like this combination, a lot of times, like you just can't replicate the combination of certain individuals together. And Mm -hmm. it's so fun switching up the recipe. Yeah. You think Milwaukee's music scene is like going through like kind of a renaissance right now? Like, like... I don't know because I I don't really know too much about what it was like. Yeah. And you think it's a, a city that kind of has the potential to kind of be known as a place for like really great local music? Uh, that's, that has to do with the internet, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all the internet. It's like how, how we market ourselves as a city, how, how far our music reaches. And a lot of times some of our bigger artists as a city 
find their success in other cities, which kind of sucks. And then they're like from Milwaukee, but they're like also based in like LA or something. Well, yeah. Abby Jean, like moved to New York. Yeah. There's Silas Short moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Milo was from Kenosha. Great rapper dude. Mm-hmm. Changed his alias a couple times. Rap Ferreira. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I've had that experience with Kala a few times. I mean, that dude has a pretty big following outside of Wisconsin. You know, I've been out to a bar with him or something. He's gone to get a drink or go to the bathroom or something. And I run into somebody who's not from Milwaukee and we're just chatting about music. And then Kala walks in and they're like, oh my God, are you Kala? And he's like, I think so. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it sounds just like, it. right, right. It's just, it's interesting to see that kind of to your point of bands and artists from Milwaukee kind of having a bigger following outside of the city. I wonder what that's all about. Just like how big our city is and like our reach and like compared to like these other monsters of cities like LA, mm-hmm. New York, Chicago, like it's a whole other ball game out there. Yeah. There's a lot more people, like I was talking about earlier, like social media reach. But I know but like Milwaukee rap mm-hmm. definitely has its own mm-hmm. its own name for sure. It's got its own genre. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty cool. The Milwaukee Padmasters, have you heard of them? No. They do like beat battling and it's like this is like a national thing. Oh wow. And they kick out. Shout out to Mekamalo, Carl. So you're talking about like Milwaukee music scene's reach. Like what else do you think Milwaukee's music scene could improve on? Like what is it missing to kind of get to the next level? Social media <laughs> blasts. Like, I don't know, like out of popping up like I don't know, media coverage, bigger media coverage. Definitely Milwaukee Music Night was meant to kind of help put Milwaukee on the map. And yeah. I, I Ideally, like, I wanted to be taking this show on the road. <laughs> and have, like, a, be, like, a traveling festival. And it's, like, all Milwaukee acts. And we're, like, yeah, that'd be super cool. I don't know. It's kind of like a pipe dream, you know. Everybody would have to be living in the bands. <laughs> I don't know. That's all. Not- so much of it's what I would want to do now. But, like, a one-off thing, like a night at Madison. Mm-hmm. Head in Chicago, taking to Minneapolis, you know, in the area, you know, realistic. Yeah, I think that's doable. Right. That would be super cool. Even like in Appleton. Yeah. You ever thought about like doing something in Chicago and just having kind of like everybody take the train down and just do like pop-up concerts on the train ride down? That'd be freaking cool. Let's zoom back in on the music. So you said earlier in the conversation that you just recorded something with Kula, the king, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did it. And it was like great experience. We went to Silver Studios. Mm-hmm. Great place. I recorded an album there in 2019 with Tapper's Luck. Okay. Pretty cool. And they do a great job. Nice guys. And it sounds good. Good work. And they have everything there. Very comfortable environment. And I got to play with the great Anthony Deutsch, Father Sky. He's so fit. And Peter Belmer. He's a fucking monster. He went to Berkeley. And I mean, he hates when I say that. And it really means nothing. <laughs> but he's, he's about his shit. He's got sound. And we work together a lot. Me and Peter, out of those 10 bands that I'm in, I think he's in at least half of them, minimum. And so, you know, obviously working with Kula, who's, you know, just kind of a like a Shavat in terms of sound. Like, I don't even know how to classify genre-wise, like, the stuff that Kula puts out. What is that experience like working with Kula? He's so cool, man. It's fun. Yeah. I've been playing with him since I was 19, on and off. And like this summer, we have some more stuff lined up. Last summer, I got to play some dates with him. He just did his fifth MKE music night mm-hmm. <laughs> with me. So like we've been working together here and there. But it was just cool. Easy, easy to work with. Yeah. 
just meshes well. Like I know exactly what to play. I went into that recording with Peter. So that's like, mm-hmm. that's my guy. You know, we're locked in. It was just easy. Yeah. Exactly what we were doing. Just yeah. that crew, everybody's just in tune. Yeah. Each other. Yeah. It sounds like a great group of musicians and listeners. You'll get the chance to hear that song after this conversation. So yeah. Soak it up because that's <laughs> some of Milwaukee's best in terms of just the artistry. Pella's just put out an album every year on his birthday since he was 16. So he's been putting albums out for over half of his life. And every album's a different genre, a different sound. If I were a musician, that's definitely somebody that I'd want to work with, you know, because he's just so creative. and Especially the original music aspect. You know, there's not too many people out there doing like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That, you know. mm-hmm. Shout out to Gaucho, too. He's also been totally American. Getting that reach. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any shows that come up that, like, that you've played that sticks out as, like, your favorite gig? Chill on the Hill. Chill on the Hill? Uh, yeah, it's, like, special to me. I grew up in Bayview. I moved there when I was, like, 11, and I used to go to Chill on the Hill all the time with my family. So, and then I, and then when I got older, I used to bike there after work, you know, when I could make it. <laughs> it's just, like, oh, surreal. <laughs> and it's also so close to home. Mm-hmm. And I, I've gone to the shell many times just with, like, my guitar, just jamming, playing in the shell and, like, bringing, like, my buddies and go play acoustic and just go hang out in there. But I got to play once when I was uh, 16. Okay. And we did all original music. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> our voices just weren't there, you know? Yeah. But it was cool. Like, we brought it. Yeah. All, but then, like, I got to play again two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, the rush, dude. It's so exhilarating. The lights on me. My parents are out there. <laughs> you know, there's a whole, like, arc of, like, 2,000 people. And I, I was, like, super nervous before this one. I don't know why. Like, I don't always get stage fright, but I got jitters, you know? And then I was, like, super nervous, and I didn't, I was, like, shaking. And my aunts surprised me and came all the way from Chicago. Oh, wow. Like, telling me. And I, like, started crying. <laughs> I was just so, like, I was, like, freaking out. I was, like, oh, my God, I like, couldn't believe it. And it kind of helped take me out of it, too. And yeah. So, how old are you now? 23. 23. And you're going to finish college in the next year? Yeah, in next spring. Hopefully. Next spring. And then what? What do you do then? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm already living the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just trying to learn how to like make everything more legitimate mm-hmm. and sustainable and keep making these connections and relationships and, and working with more like privately owned venues and like booking agencies mm-hmm. and getting a damn car would be nice. Because mm. <laughs> I know it's really hard to do it, you know, with that. I, mean, I got all these extra rides and Uber everywhere. Yeah, I'm sure that's tough. How much, how much you're gigging and just like, you know, booking shows and things like that. My, my downstairs neighbors were coming in really clutch, giving me rides. So a lot of stuff, especially if it's in the area, because I'm gigging in River West like half the time, mm-hmm. which is where we live. But unfortunately, their car got stolen. No, no. Right before the last amorphic thing, he was about to give me a ride and we went outside, it was gone. They found it like a week later and they had to like strip it of the catalytic converter. It had oh, damage and it was like just total. It was total. That sucks. From like the musicianship side of things, uh, I think you had said in the breaking in an article that you know you want to start working on your own music, and so like I guess do you have like thoughts or a vision around that. Like, are you going to have your own project, or are you just going to keep doing you know the other ten bands that you're in? I do have my own project. It's just under my own name. Yeah, I have like a band that I play with, mm-hmm. and I do like solo stuff from the duo thing, and I play my originals. So it's like just Lalok. Mm-hmm. You know, I do have a vision for an album. It's pretty much like finished in the written part of it. It just needs to like get it down. 
And I think in a lot of ways with my hesitation is that I've outgrown a lot of my music, which is something that a lot of artists experience, you know, and it sounds like five years ago and it's not necessarily something I want to be putting out now. So I'm just like torn. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Did recently record with Camino Astral. Okay. And I was able to do it from home, wrote all my bass lines, you know, picked my own price and all that. And that was pretty cool. A good experience. I have like everything I need at home. Shouldn't matter doing a setting aside time, like. I have another week where I'm not gigging, like, which is not, not happening. Because you typically are, what, how many nights a week are you gigging? Uh, right now, it's about, like, 12 a month. Okay. Yeah. It changes. Sure. You know? Sure. And winter is tough. I was, like, really happy to be in at the gig. I'm just filling in for a buddy while he's out of town. Mm-hmm. It's perfect cause, because of the time of year. Yeah, that makes sense. It's tougher for musicians, like, I would say, for me personally, October all the way through April or like driest months, May, things start rolling in. I'm already almost like totally filled up in June. July is usually the month with the most things that go on. The gig is real steady all the way till the end of September. As soon as the first week of October comes around, it's like, that's what I'm saying. I'm just like after college, like making it more sustainable, filling in the gaps, figuring out how to do this more legitimately all around. Yeah. And part of it is putting all my passion and energy into like turning MK Music Night into this nonprofit and trying to get the kinds of things that I'm trying to do, like not just sponsorships. I'm trying to go beyond that. And like, ideally, I'm going to be applying for like as many grants as I can. Yeah. For as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. You know? It, yeah. It, yeah. Well, I love that like down dedication to that, that dream and you're doing it, man. So props to you. A lot of people out there have dreams that they talk about, but you know, a very small percentage of people actually, you know, put the work in, and you're clearly doing that. So now we're going to bring in one of Talak's friends, Rowan Nellis, who is another musician in Milwaukee, who has kind of seen your come up through, like, the house show scene and all of that. And uh, We've been a frequent member of the crowd, yeah. So what's your perspective, Rowan, on just what Talak and I have talked about in terms of him, you know, making a name for himself in the scene and just how that's happened? I don't know. I'd say it's mostly based on the strength of his playing. That's kind of why I keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to add to like me, me and Rowan met at uh, this house show many I used to do called Roommate 08. I think it was the color show, wasn't it? It could have been. Or like the one that had JoJo in it. That wasn't the same one or the... Oh, same show. It was a chaotic show. Yeah, so... But I had the show. Yeah, I met Kala through Instagram. Mm. I saw he played a house show and he seemed like a pretty established like musician. I was like surprised he was doing house shows. And he like reached out to him and he came and serenaded this house show. <laughs> yeah, 808 is not your average house either. It's like a pretty good venue actually. Yeah, and that's actually where Parker Schultz lives now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so it was funny doing it there because of the odd space, but it was like, it looked really cool and people were really into it. I had never experienced this when color came and you could hear a pin drop in the room. Everybody was super into it and it was like super beautiful. And yeah, this all like, I'm in straight, you know, at the Apple never that once before. And that was for Kyle Kodowski. Yeah. In the very attic. Like, yeah, he's powerful dude. But yeah, Rowan, you remember that funk, the jazz fusion stuff. Like that was kind of where I was really like the sunken suns. Yeah. It was just like an improvisatory funk fusion jazz kind of thing. I literally still have a sticker on my drum kit. It's the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good logo. My buddy, Nico Molinaro. Uh, shout out to him. He designed that. 
two drummers that shaded off for that project too, right? It was Yanni and Q, right? No, it was my friend Javante. Javante. Javante Atkins, Tay the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Yanni said no. A couple great drummers all around the scene. And uh, last year I was just, it was such a hustle, dude. I did open mics Monday through Wednesday. And then I would go play Angelo's Piano Lounge every other Thursday from 9 to 1 a.m. Oh, wow. Usually would be getting home to like 2. Yeah, that was you. You would be coming out like every week. Yeah, I really liked that gig. Yeah, I think it was one of the owners ended up tossing me a bongos on like one of the first two nights of that. And the worst bongos. Yeah, the worst bongos. Yeah, and they're like, kind of, they're like display bongos. He's like, takes them off the wall. Here, son. Take these. And I'm like, well, I'm drummed on desks. Never touched bongos before. Played them all night. Really? Probably. I don't know. I would. Really like doing it. That was where you started playing bongos? And that was literally the first time I'd ever touched the instrument. Wow. Some dude hands me Angelo Brigero's bongos, and I'm like, oh, okay. Later I found out that they're like, you know, not something you're supposed to be touching, but I kind of bought my own set and then started showing up. What did you think about like the open mics? The open mics were awesome. Yeah. Uh, I remember it was like Victor, Luzon, and you at like kind of the outset. And uh, Victor Reed used to come by a lot. Yeah. I was thinking uh, Little Lion. Oh my God! I rely on this like yeah, the Victor, Victor. I met him. I met him. Uh, I was on CC's radio show. Are you familiar with CC? Mm-hmm. Charles Carmichael. No, he should be okay. Yeah, he's yeah, a Milwaukee staple. He's or River West staple for sure. Good to know. Yeah, he's like an older guy, and he sings blues, and he's uh he's a wordsmith. Oh yeah, his father was a blacksmith. Uh, <laughs> but he's super wise, and um, I have not talked to a wiser dude. Yeah, so I, I was on his radio show when I was like nineteen. It's like my first time on on the radio, one hundred four point one Riverless Radio. And then we were playing like this jazz fusion set, and then this uh, this dude, Spanish dude who comes in starts playing the bongos along with us. Little did I know he'd been doing that for the next couple of years. Like every time we had a show. There is Victor. He's just showing up with his tacos. No, dude. No, it was cool. It's cool. I like. He used to come and sit in with Cream City players at Angelo's like every Thursday or like even if I was there and stuff. Yeah, when I could. Yeah, and then remember the high note open mic? Oh, yeah. The high note open mic was awesome. I think that's the first place I ever did my uh, looping pedal stuff. Yeah, it's like the perfect venue for that. Yeah. It was It was a really nice spot, you know? And it's kind of low key sometimes. So I didn't feel too much pressure. Yeah. Uh, their drum kit, however, the electronic kit, don't want to talk Gil about it, but it was broken for a long period of time. It was just missing a couple of pieces. <laughs> that being said, like, you know, the atmosphere was fantastic and the people were cool regardless. So that was like kind of honestly one of the ways that broke the ice on me just like coming out to other people live. Because honestly, I've been in a basement, dude, for like 20 years of my life, which is a long time to not perform mm-hmm. and a musician. So, yeah, I appreciate that experience. Last year, I also hosted a Tuesday open mic at Dino's while they were opened. As one mm-hmm. was like about a year ago, or like just over a year ago now, and then they ended up closing around July. It was definitely a strong force for MK Music Night last year. I, I was promoting that, and it was kind of like a I promoted it as like an MK Music Night themed open mic. And at the time, I had like the three going, so I was like, it was technically under the umbrella of MK Music Night. Probably, hey, we have monthly events weekly open mics at mm-hmm. three locations i feel like that was one of the venues where the crowd always felt the strongest too because it's like kind of a small spot and there was like all dito could turn out like people really liked dino's i think they had good food too really good food and yet yeah rest in peace it will be missed they're like a crepe shop now oh really they're all white yeah they got bought okay did you see that coming <laughs> it always hurts 
like seeing the jazz estate go. Yeah. Especially for like jazz musicians mm -hmm. and people who want to be doing that. There's a lot of other venues, but that are still doing it. Mark Davis made a point to shout out all the other venues that are still hosting live jazz that he's playing. Mm -hmm. Definitely a healthy list. Oh man, that was the it was the it's always the heartbeat of the Milwaukee jazz scene. Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe they were in the position. Yeah, definitely. That they were doing for our senior. Mm -hmm. Those Tuesday nights were just on another level. Like, I remember walking to that room and it's just all monster musicians shredding. And, and you've got like a crowd of the open show, 15 people all just playing their heart out. Really knowledgeable players, too. Those Tuesday nights were amazing. I didn't start going to them until uh, I think it was like this past summer. So I didn't get very many of them before the plug was pulled, unfortunately. But yeah, like you said, just brilliant musicians and just kind of collabing in the moment is such a cool vibe i'm still afraid to play kid there every now and then yeah yeah it shouldn't be intimidating because they're also welcoming but like the level is set high yeah we also uh, at the jazz state at one of their open jams i met um this incredible jazz pianist who was a, a lot older he was in the 70s his name was neil chande and uh, me and Rowan came to be good friends of, of Neil, and he unfortunately passed away. Yeah, Aston mm. So, yeah, I mean, Rowan, you know, what I was telling Talal here is, like, just his impact on the music scene. I mean, you, you could probably attest for that. You've been witness to this, right? What are some of the FK music that has been up to? I couldn't list it. Can I just kind of drop in on a lot? Or why, what, are some, what were some of your favorites? Some of my favorites? Probably the first time I went to Linden Middens, very long time ago. Brendel was out. Uh, it was like a huge stacked list. I had like a friend who was trying to distract me with something else and I like insisted on going to that night. It was a damn good show. Brennan Cafe has been a pretty good time on a couple of like the title that I had. It was Neil Salt Funkadelic Jazz Nights. That was a pretty cool little running line you had going there. Yeah, it's like a theme night I'm just trying to push. All right. When something's like indescribably fast, I guess, or fairly funky. I think my most successful Lindemann show with MK Music Nights was actually like this Grateful Dead tribute. Just by a couple people though, like the other ones right there, it was the Moonlight I show. Just missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, both of those. Damn. But I'm busy too. So, yeah. All right. Hell yeah. If I could make mod, would. Right. <laughs> yeah. You try your best, right? Like literally. <laughs> yeah. The next one would be number 45, right? Big four or five. It's the uh, only Roman numerals I knew before starting to do Roman numeral stuff. Because oh, really? Packers won the Super Bowl. Oh, I tell you. So this is my Super Bowl. <laughs> right. This is my Super Bowl 45 right here. You stand a champion. That's badass. I wanted to do it, but do it up big for the number 50. That was just about to ask about that. Yeah. yeah, but I just I just already have so many dates booked that I can't strategically pick which one is going to be the 50th, right? Mm. It's probably going to end up being one of the Cooper shows, which would be ideal. Like, yeah. If it could be any, any, the, the three Cooper shows I have booked this year are like stacked. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say the Cooper shows I've caught before work. I think only one of them is an MP music night, but those are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of land the plane on this conversation, talk, I always ask every guest the same question, which is what's the most important thing that you want listeners of this episode to know about you? <laughs> It's pronounced the look two syllables. <laughs> I just, uh, I guess I just want people to know that this is like something that I, I love. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it goes beyond like whatever it looks like on the outside and like whatever details and like your definition of success. I love what I do. 
and I always have a great time. And I just, I'm just trying to make it lucrative for everybody and uh, help directly support our musician community by throwing these kinds of events and like booking acts. And ideally, like, I just want to be able to work with as many bands and extend my reach and like make sure everybody's getting like a fair kind of the pie mm -hmm. as much as I can. So your track record speaks to that too. That's something I can say. At the end of the day, I just want to uh, make people feel something when, I, when I'm performing. Yeah, man, it's eloquently stated. I'm sure to what I do and like that. And I just, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've really enjoyed this conversation and just kind of learning more about your story and like how you come up and the dream that you have for MK Music Night and just get through college here in the next year. Right. And I'll say to listeners, if you haven't seen him perform yet, please do. If you haven't been to an MK Music Night before, please go. Because it's it stands for more than just one night of music. You know, like you just heard him, you know, talk about why he's doing this and like it's it's this effort to kind of lift up the Milwaukee music scene. So by supporting even just one night, one one show, you're helping the man behind it push things forward. And ultimately that's gonna have a big impact on Milwaukee and the music scene and the culture here. So if you're a music lover and you haven't been to one of these shows yet, like what are you waiting for? Get out there. And you can find our MK Music Night on the socials, right? It's just MK Music Night on all of them. Yep. If you find us on Instagram or Facebook, there's a link to our flow code, mm -hmm. which is basically like a fancy link tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got a link to everything I got out in the world on there. I just made a SoundCloud for MK Music Night. I'm going to start uh, putting some of our shows on there. If I can get like the board record, soundboard recordings for like all the shows and just help shout out the bands too and that's an extra thing for people to share here and there mm -hmm. we try to do the same thing with the uh, mk music night youtube page the instagram has been that if you if you go to our instagram you can see videos a lot of these open mics that mm -hmm. like, i was trying so hard to promote everyone in them and like and shout out the venues and the weekly happenings and like all the cool acts that were coming through there yeah and i've definitely met a lot of people that way too so it was good experience and uh just fun time yeah well, I've had fun chatting with you and just got to say again, what you're doing is super cool. So keep doing it, man. It's having an impact for sure. I got to keep going and making it bigger. Absolutely. Don't stop. Just keep pursuing that dream. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> Papa, don't call me. Never tightening my reins, don't. Frighten me, I'm a fool to be lost So clueless, step up to the rafters Then jump Testing out my wings, I'll Probably fly halfway to the sun And melt away, classic mistake I should have read old Greek stories Now I'm proper dead Yeah.
reality a travesty you don't sing a Philip but he stood up to he saw the part of him retire always caused his nights to light up sitting by the fire and brimstone burn the throne to the ground now what man should wear that crown it's probably you nah it's probably me it's probably someone but who should it be it's always me sitting in the corner of the court i've been watching for far too long i got the skills to run a kingdom usurp that intern that the worst will happen first in the burst of human combat but let's get over that now i'm the king now i'm silencing your thing now any person's voice will worsen facing certain doom Venture Podcast. Please leave ratings and reviews from wherever you're listening from. Check us out online at themusiciansventure.com for more information on what we have happening, to find past episodes, and ways to get in touch with us. Find us on social media at The Musicians Venture on Facebook and Instagram, and at Musician Venture on Twitter. Like and follow us on all those platforms, and hey, while you're there, engage with and share our content with your friends. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by me, Nick O'Brien, with guest host appearances from Allison M. The podcast is produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>